Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Author Cheryl J. Corvo's new book, The Tangled Web, is a thrilling tale and it's now available through the Audiobook Network. I get to find out all about it. Cheryl is joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me this afternoon. It's my pleasure, Cheryl. Can you tell me what audiobook listeners will expect whenever they listen to The Tangled Web? Oh, my. Let me tell you what I have heard. They tell me they can't put it down. They are really enjoy being taken all over the world. And they love the romance that's in the book. But it's also a suspense. Hmm. So the main character, Julia, loses her husband in a plane crash shortly after they are married. And she decides to move from Jacksonville back to Charleston, South Carolina. And the process of her packing everything up, She finds the name and number of an old lover. So she decides that she might or might not, or what should she do? Should she try and find him? She calls her brother, and he tells her that that's exactly what she needs to do. So she goes down that rabbit hole (laughs) in search of the long-lost lover. Cheryl, how did you get the idea for this? Well, a lot of people ask me that, and I can't answer that. (laughs) This is my second book. My first book was The Demanding River, and it was fiction, but it was based on actual events with my life and my business as owning a boat dealership on the St. John's River in the middle of Central Florida. And right when I was finishing that, for some reason, I just thought, you know, I need to write a second book and I need to make it full of adventure where I'm not involved in it. And I just sat down and I started writing on paper. And the more I wrote, the more I liked it. I love the research with the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and how the government became crooked or was crooked and how people were out for everything for themselves. And it just snowballed. And then I got involved with her chasing Adam across the world or around the world. And then I got involved with the countries and I just take you everywhere. I take you to Iceland. I take you to Russia. I take you to Germany. I take you to the Cayman Islands. And that's where people say they just couldn't put it down. Wow, that sounds great. It sounds like this might have taken you a long time to write. Was that the case? 
No, it wasn't. It took me three years to write the first book. It took me six months to write this one. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So whenever you got your first copy in finally and, and you got to hold it for the first time, what's that like? It's very emotional, the Tangled Web, and I'm sure you've seen the cover of it. It's a big spider web with the Tangled Web letters in the middle of it, and they're not perfect. You can tell where the spider's been weaving in and out, and that just entangled me more into the events that Julia Stone goes through. So, Cheryl, what are the chances that we're going to see another book from you? Well, (laughs) I left it open for a sequel. And people are asking me all the time, when is the next book going to come out? And I don't have a date for it yet. I am really trying to promote both books. I'd like to get them off the ground a little bit before I take on the sequel to The Tangled Web. Well, we're looking forward to that. And I think audiobook listeners are going to love this story. Again, it's titled The Tangled Web. It's written by Cheryl J. Corriveau and published by the Audiobook Network. So everywhere that you go to get your audiobooks, you'll be able to find this, like Amazon, iTunes, Audible, everywhere. Well, Cheryl, thanks again for joining me and telling me all about the Tangled Web. It sounds great. I I appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I'm looking at a book right now written by Rudy Reyes. It's a stirring, heartfelt account of the author's family history. It's titled The Tamale Letter. And I get to find out more about this book. The author, Rudy, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Rudy, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Corey. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. Rudy, can you tell me all about the Tamale Letter? It's actually a based on a true story regarding my family, starting with my grandfather, Anastasio, when he was around 10 years old. He was an orphan and how he had to make it on his own without being raised with a family. Going back a little bit, ever since I was a young boy, we would always sit at family gatherings, and that's what they would discuss about their family history, starting with my grandfather, Anastasio. And of course, they gave us true stories of how they were raised, and they became adults and had children of their own, one being my father. Going back to my grandfather, Anastasio, he was kind of bumped from family member to family member because his parents had passed away. And so they were too poor really to raise him and to feed him. So 10 years old, he kind of went on his own looking for a place to stay, work or whatever. He found one. He found this mom and pop grocery store in Mexico. And he did this, you know, without any family support, no love from anyone. He then saw this lady discuss going on a caravan to the United States. He had this very one-on-one link with God. And so he had never lost the faith. He was really good with his hands. He met my grandmother when he was 18. So that was back before the Depression. They were doing very well. But then the Great Depression hit, so they lost everything. They were evicted from their house. It's a situation where the family ties stuck together. They didn't lose faith with God. God had his hand over my family. 
and all this. And so everybody's growing up. It's still a family gathering. And then my uncle goes to war, World War II. He's at the Battle of Bulge. The family that's back in town, back home, makes tamales. And the youngest, my Aunt Mary Alice, writes a letter to my Uncle Jesse. She smears tamale on the letter, and they, they mail it to his position. Somehow, with the grace of God, he gets it, he reads it, and he just falls into grace with God. The Texas boys are fighting over the tamale letter because they smell home. They smell the tamales. But they grew up, had children, one, my father, like I said. I can remember how they instilled the true family values that they learned, and my aunts and uncles are teaching their children to my cousins. It's a great book. It's based on a true story. It's very hard for me to write because it gets very emotional for me. Everybody who's read it loves the book. Fantastic. How long did this take you, Rudy? Well, I'm a realtor, so I'm really, really busy. But on my spare time, I'm writing. And this is my third book. And I'm on my fourth book I'm writing now, but just to find the time. So I think I actually started five years ago. It just took me the time to do it, plus reaching out to my five cousins to get more factual information about my grandfather, grandmother, and my aunts and uncles. Rudy, what sorts of readers do you think would really be into the Tamale Letter? People who are looking for faith and believe in God and strong family values, that's the ones who would really love this book. It's a book, and they tell me they can't put it down. Mm. I instilled these family values to my five children. Well, it must have been a really quite a moment for you whenever you got this first copy in and you got to hold it. Being this is such a personal book to you about your family history, what was that like? It was fantastic. My Uncle Jesse, who is kind of the main character in the book, also loved to paint. And he gave me two paintings that I cherish. I love those paintings. That's in the book itself, you know, copies of those paintings. Well, being you're a little bit of a veteran to the writing and publishing process now, Rudy, do you have any advice that you would give to the authors out there who are just starting out? Just put all the passion into it. You got the passion, do it. Just write, write, write. And I remember God telling me one time, he said, write, write, write. So I'm doing it. Well, this sounds like a great story. I think readers are really going to be into it. Again, the title of this is The Tamale Letter. It's written by Rudy Reyes and published by Covenant Books, so it's available everywhere. Go on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to pick this up. Rudy, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about the Tamale Letter, about your family history. I had a really good time tonight. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much. God bless you. 30 Plays for Child Actors. It's an engaging resource for those in the performing arts. The author is Gorman John Ruggiero, and I get to find out more about it. Gorman is here with me now at the show. Gorman, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Corey. Much appreciated. Gorman, can you tell me all about 30 plays for child actors? What can people expect here? Well, people can expect the culmination of almost 40 years of my work with child actors, uh, training children in the art of communication skills. My whole work is based on teaching children how to have interpersonal and intrapersonal communication skills. Right now in the world we're living in today, this is absolutely crucial. I started this book and writing these plays in 1980. In 1982, I saw children playing with a little Game Boy electronic device at a park, and that alerted me to what we were going to be dealing with. It was a very scary moment, and I had a bad feeling about it. And so I continued my work with children, focusing on communication skills so they can have personal relationships and professional relationships face-to-face. Good stuff. 
Gorman, what inspired you to write this? Was there a spark that made you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to sit down and get started on this thing? Well, I was actually working with child actors because I wanted to make some extra money with my acting company in Saratoga Springs, New York. And I went to the local school, elementary school, and they said, sure, we can, I can work with the children. And then when I got into working with children, it became something more important than just making some money. I actually enjoyed working with the children. They were sending me some children who were, they called challenged children. Mm-hmm. And those children had communication skills issues that I was able to work with by teaching them basic fundamental communication skills that are a prelude to acting technique. Hmm. So I got really involved with that because it became just a very interesting, fascinating work. I understand you've also had experience working with children who are on the spectrum as well. Yes, I have extensive experience working with children on the autism spectrum. It started in the early 80s there, but the children they were sending me, which were being called problem children, they weren't being diagnosed. They were just sent Hmm. to me as children with issues. And I did not realize until I started studying psychology And in the mid-90s, I looked back upon my work in the early years and realized, oh, my goodness, those children I was working with have the same issues and the same characteristics and idiosyncrasies as the children who are diagnosed with autism that had been working in the 90s. Very interesting. Gorman, what's your writing background look like? Have you done a lot of this prior to this book? Well, this book is a culmination that has been, these plays have been written over a period of 35 years. Mm. My previous writing was when I was younger, I was a poet. I started writing poetry at a very early age. My first real poem was when I was 16. I had an English teacher working with me in middle school on my poetry. So I would go after school and she would help me. Whenever that first copy comes in and you actually get to hold your book for the very first time, what's going through your head? What are the feelings you're experiencing? I'm telling you, it was an absolutely magnificent feeling because it's like, my goodness, I actually spent all these years working on these plays producing them over and over. Some of the plays have been produced seven to 10 times. Some of them grew from two to five minute pieces of work for child actors. And some of them have become two hour musicals, hour and a half, two hour musicals after being developed over the years. And it was just really gratifying to say, wow, I have this, it's documented. I'm sending it out to the world. Hmm. Have you thought about another book? Do you think you have another in you? Oh, yeah. I'm working on a new book called The Stolen Star, which is actually the novel of one of my best plays that deal with the addiction and all the problems we're having with social media and children's addiction to the cyber world. But I started, I wrote that in 1984. And now it's more crucial that people get involved with this situation and get a a better understanding of what's going on with our children. Absolutely. Uh, When you think about the publishing end of things, Gorman, what's the most challenging part of that for you? I guess the most challenging part was getting everything in order and dealing with the publishers and editing the book and filling out all the forms. I mean, that was basically it. But once I had all the plays edited, then the publishers did all the rest. They were great. I think people are going to love this book. I encourage my listeners to check it out. Again, this is 30 Plays for Child Actors. It's written by Gorman John Ruggiero. And it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So, I mean, you can get it everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores, too. Gorman, it's been really nice having you on the show and finding out about your writing. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. It's my pleasure, Corey. I appreciate it, and thank you very much. There's a thrilling new mystery in stores written by Jody Godwin. It's titled Homecoming. And I get to find out all about it. I'm talking with the author, Jody, right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jody, welcome. Thank you for joining me tonight. Well, thank you. Absolutely. I'm really interested to learn all about homecoming. Can you tell me about it? 
Well, it's about a young woman who is haunted, kind of, by the mysterious disappearance of a friend when she was in high school. And she takes about five years of college and all to get a journalism degree to try and find her way to investigating this and ends up back in time. I love it. Where did the idea for the story come from, Jody? It's kind of a conglomeration of several ideas that I've had. I travel a lot and I hear stories about different things. So I pick up little pieces of stories that people tell me and kind of put it all together. I heard about some girl who disappeared and they never have found her. Then somebody told me that there's a time portal in this place. And I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'll try that. <laughs> I love it. I, even though I'm not too sure about how sane the woman was who was telling me at the time, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Jody, what kinds of readers do you think would really love Homecoming? Anything from junior high to adult, really. I've had several different people that have bought the book and read it that have told me and kept them intrigued the whole time. So hopefully I can get the attention of everybody in different age brackets. Hmm. When it comes to writing, publishing, and all of that, Jody, have you done this before or is this your first time around? This is my first time around. Congratulations. It's such a big deal to get that first one out there. Yeah, it is. It really is. So did this take you a really long time to write and publish and everything? Well, if you take the time that I kept telling myself I can't do this, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, and you get about half of her, and you think, oh, nobody's going to want to read this, you know. And my granddaughters are the ones who pushed me. They got a hold of the story and said, oh, wow, Grandma, do this, do this, publish it, publish it. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, maybe I will finish this and publish it. And I retired from teaching and was substitute teaching and in between classes and kids not having, I, you know, you end up babysitting mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So I had time to write and I finished the rest of the book and thought, I'll publish this. Well, you got to tell me about that day whenever your first copy finally came in. You actually got to hold Homecoming for the first time. What was that like? Oh, that was unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable <laughs> altogether. Awesome. My granddaughter was there with me, and grandson and granddaughter, both. I said, this is your book, this is your book. And I said, no, it can't be. <laughs> and they handed me that book, and I thought, I did this. I can't believe it. I really can't believe it. What are the chances we might see a follow-up to Homecoming or another book from you in the future? Well, I have two books in line. One is a follow-up to Homecoming, and another's another time travel, but not the same. Different story altogether. And when it came to the publishing end of things, you know, there's so much involved in that. You got to do so many things. So, oh, yeah. Jody, what did you find the most challenging part of that for you? Oh, trying to get all the editing done. That was the most challenging thing, I think. I would send in, okay, this is all right. And then they'd send me more. And then I'd send it back and back and forth. And I thought, this is never going to end. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice now would you have for the authors who are also just starting out? Just write. Read a lot and write. Because I think that's what helped me the most. You read a lot and you write down what your thoughts are and things that you can think of. And, you know, a lot of what you write down doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. but Every now and then, something just catches your eye and thinks, I could go with this. And that's what I've done, you know, in this book in particular, and the next two that I've got in the works. 
Mm-hmm. I realized I can do the, you know, this is a place I can go. Well, I really love this story, and I think a lot of readers will too. Again, this is called Homecoming. It's written by Jody Godwin, published by Newman Springs Publishing. So you can find it everywhere, like Amazon or Barnes and Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick and mortar stores. Well, thank you again, Jody, for coming on the show and telling me all about Homecoming. I had such a nice time talking with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you too. Author Gordon Lloyd-Jones explores how his faith has affected and uplifted him throughout his life. In his new book, The Sun Also Rises, Divinely Encountered Too. And Gordon is here with me now at the show. I get to talk all about this book. Gordon, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you here. And I'm excited to learn more about The Sun Also Rises, Gordon. Can you tell me about it? Well, the book is my second endeavor at writing. I'm not the youngest person on the block. I've always written letters to people in jail and cards and loved to read, read in an early age. Never thought I would write a book, but in 2022, I wrote my first book. In 2023, I wrote and published the one we are discussing this evening, The Sun Also Rises. I have another book about to be published uh, about my four uncles who fought in World War II and working on my fourth book about my experiences working at a large power plant. Well, Gordon, what kinds of readers were you writing to here? Um, For this book, I was primarily uh, writing to readers who either had faith in God already and loved hearing about how uh, mysterious his ways are, but I was also writing to people who may be skeptical and think, well, God is a God of the Old Testament, or, you know, he did that back then, but he doesn't do that now. But I share many, many stories that I have experienced, not just about me, but about many other people over the years, and how God has intervened in very miraculous ways. Could you give me two minutes to give you an example of a small story that's in the book? Sure. I buy cupcakes at a little sandwich shop and cupcake shop in the small town of Maysville where I live, and I support them. They employ people that have difficulties. I really support them highly. So about once a month, I'll buy on a Friday, because they're not open Saturday and Sunday, whatever cupcakes they have left. Then I'll just go on the street of Maysville and hand them out. So on this one particular Saturday, I'd handed all the cupcakes out I wanted to hand out, and I had three left over. So I put them in my truck, walked around to get in my truck. This lady pulled right across the street from me and got out. She said, excuse me, sir, the Sprinkles of Hope Bakery opened today. And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. They're closed on Saturday and Sunday. And she said, oh, I'm so disappointed. I said, what's wrong? She said, today's my son's birthday. He's having two friends over. And all he wanted was a Sprinkles of Hope cupcake for himself and his two friends. I walked straight back to my truck, pulled out the three cupcakes I had left and handed them to her. And the neat thing about this, I was parked three blocks down the street from where the baker's at. And she didn't park in front of the bakery. She just happened to park right across the street from me. So I really believe this was the divine encounter. We had a great conversation to end that little story. Gordon, can you go back and think about what sparked this? What motivated you to say, hey, I've got to write this book. I'm going to get started on it. In 2022, I had been keeping a journal for quite some time of things that I thought were of special interest to me and perhaps to others. Not that I'd thought about writing a book, but there was an event that happened. My only living uncle passed away. I'm sorry. And I'd been getting information from him to write a book about he and his three brothers in World War II for some time. When he passed away, the thought that came to me was, 
I'm in the fall season of my life. If I want to start writing some books, I'd better get busy doing it. And so I finished that first book, which is called Divinely Encountered, and immediately started on this book. And the reason I like this book better than the first book is because this book is highly illustrated. It has many wonderful and unique pictures in it. Hmm. So you're publishing a lot now. Gordon, what's the most rewarding aspect for you of being a published author? People that read my books come back and tell me how it's affected them. Mm. I had a particular, I won't mention who it was because I don't have their permission to, but I had a city official in the city I live that recently read my book, and they said that they were highly inspired by it, and it had caused them to reexamine where they were at in their faith journey. Also, I've had six people that have read my book and have determined to start the process. A couple have already started in writing their own book. That's extremely rewarding for me as an author to spur others to write books. Hmm. Again, it's titled, The Sun Also Rises, Divinely Encountered Too. It's written by Gordon Lloyd-Jones, published by Covenant Books, so it's available everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also down the street at your local bookshop. Gordon, thank you so much again for coming on the show, telling me about this book and your work. I had a nice time talking. Certainly. It was a pleasure. May God bless you. Author Kimberly Sellers just released the audiobook Even Now. It's an empowering discussion of faith and overcoming life's challenges through trust in God's plan. And I get to find out all about this book. The author, Kimberly, is joining me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Kimberly, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. Kimberly, what's Even Now all about? What can readers expect? Even Now is a book that I wrote in order to encourage readers to let them know that God is for them. He's there for us at any given moment, and he never leaves us alone to deal with, you know, life as it, <laughs> as it is. I wanted people to know that God is still here for us. What readers were you writing for here? What was your target audience? Anybody. Those that may have forgotten their faith, those that don't have faith at all, and those that maybe need to refresh their faith in God and introduce to people who God is. So everybody, um, the audience could be young or old. Kimberly, can you tell me what sparked this? Where'd you get the idea for this book? Well, a lot of times people tend to reach out to me to give them some advice or encourage them. And I found that there were so many people that needed that in life that why not get that information to them on a bigger scale? Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that somebody had an opportunity to come closer to God, to make God their friend, mm -hmm. knowing that somebody is there for them. So that was my whole intent and purpose to get even now out, because even now, no matter what you're going through, God is there. I don't care how big it is or how small it is. He's there for you. Is even now your first book or have you written and published before this? It is my first book. Oh, congratulations. Thank How long you. of a journey was it? The writing, the publishing, everything? This was a year-long journey for me. I got to tell you that Satan has this way of trying to manipulate you or trying to discourage you from doing things. And he attacks just when you're at the point of doing something great for God. I would like to share a bit of that, if you would allow me. Absolutely. So toward the end, when the book is almost finished, my son, 24 years old now, but at 21 years old, he had a massive heart attack. Oh, my gosh. You know, toward the end of my closing the book out. 
but he did make it through. He got through quite a bit of a struggle. He was gone, like no breathing, no pulse for 28 minutes. Oh my gosh. He was in a coma, had internal bleeding. His brain was swollen. A whole lot was going on, but I was determined to exercise my faith in God at that particular time. So the book meant a whole lot more to me, even at that point, because now I got a chance to exercise what I was talking about in that book. And so I believe that this was an opportunity to share to the world who God is. He is the master of miracles, and there's nothing too hard for him, even in that state. So it made a difference. It made a difference. Of course, we're talking about the audiobook edition of Even Now. Kimberly, whenever you heard this book for the first time, what was your reaction? You'd been reading it off the page for so long. What was that like? Yes, just hearing it, because I was traveling to San Antonio, Texas, and I decided to take that opportunity to listen to it. And I was just amazed that somebody could, you know, do that with the words that I had written on that. I don't take ownership of the words. I think God gave me what is in that book. But just listening to something that took me a year to bring together was awesome. There's no moment like it. I don't think in comparison is the best way to put it. Looking down the road, do you think there's another book in you? Have you thought about writing another? Yes, I've started another book. Wonderful. But again, it takes time to make sure that you're putting together something that I believe God wants you to get to his people. So I don't rush it. As I said, this first book took a year to write, and I don't want to rush the words. I want it to be given to me. And so I have started it, but it's not complete. A lot of readers are going to be blessed by this book. I know it. Again, the audiobook is titled Even Now. It's written by Kimberly Sellers and published by the Audiobook Network. So pick it up anywhere that you normally go for audiobooks, like Audible or iTunes or Amazon, and you'll definitely find it. Kimberly, thanks for coming on the show, telling me about Even Now and everything. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on. Audiobook listeners will be excited to hear that Daniel Cabrera's new book, Fox in the City, is now an audiobook. And we get to learn more about it here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. The author, Daniel, is with me. Daniel, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here tonight. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. Daniel, can you tell me all about Fox in the City? What can audiobook listeners expect here? It's a book I put a lot of love into. It was a long time in the process. When I first wrote the book, when I started writing it in 2007, I struggled finding time to pour myself into it till 2014. The story is about an animal, a fox, who by a chance encounter with a witch turns into a human being. He learns what it means to be human through the unique perspective. So where did the idea for Fox in the City come from? How'd you come up with this? Well, you know, I was always into stories about transformations, and I've seen several where a person becomes a human being, and I thought the other way around might be a little bit more interesting, right? Like, what what are all those things that we take for granted, all those little luxuries we take for granted, and concepts that, you know, is beyond just what, like, an animal would face is, like, about survival and, like, getting to the day-to-day, and it's more about what we aspire to, what we want out of life, like the things that we want to make real, our dreams, our passions, the people we hold close to us. Daniel, what sorts of readers were you writing for here? Who do you think would be really into this? People that love fantasy, urban fantasy, I, I would think would love it. 
I try to keep the story at a level where preteens would enjoy it, like ages 12 and up, I was mostly targeting. I try to write in a way that broadens out to older audiences. So prior to this, Daniel, have you written or been published? Prior to this book, no. I am working on a second one. Hmm. I do have a collection of poetry I'm trying to organize. Here and there, I get to put a little bit of time and I get to write down a little bit. Not as much as I would like to, but the stories are moving along. Wonderful. Is writer's block ever something you got to deal with? Yeah, I find it's easier to contend with when you're able to stick to a routine. Mm. I know the best times that I was writing was a year that I was unemployed. I gave myself all that time to refine, 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 and just commit to a number of words per day. That was my most productive time. And even after I found a job that, you know, stopped me from being able to do that, I found that times that I was able to dedicate like two or three hours a day was more productive. Just putting a little bit of time every day, even if you can't get more than 100 or 200 or 300 words done in that day, it's better just to keep going. Daniel, did you find you had a certain time of day, maybe that you were more productive, early morning, late night? Now that you mention it, there was a time when um, this was like when I was driving somebody to work, but it was like three hours, four hours before my shift started. So I was able to just sit down at Dunkin' Donuts and sit there for like two, three hours, with two cups of coffee. <laughs> I would love to get back to that, but my, now I got an earlier shift. Morning, I think, was really good. First thing. Hmm. Now, we're talking about the audiobook edition of this. So all that time, you're used to reading the words right off the page, but now you're hearing your book. What was that like for you? Oh, it was amazing. Um, I remember when I first got the samples for the audiobook, and I heard the three, and I was going over them, like, over and over and over again, and I always kept going back to Keith. I imagined the character sounding one way in my head, and I was really surprised how close it came to. I, I know I couldn't do that. Well, now, Daniel, that you are a published author now, what's the most rewarding aspect of it for you? It's always been a dream of mine. I love telling stories. I love aspects of fiction and the lessons we could learn. I feel like I give a little bit of myself when I tell these stories, like, I impart a little bit of what I think, I believe in that, and that makes me happy. Well, this sounds like a great book. I think a lot of people are going to be into it. Again, it's titled Fox in the City. It's written by Daniel Cabrera, and it's available via the Audiobook Network. So go to Amazon or iTunes or Audible, and you'll be able to pick this up. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling me about Fox in the City. I really had a nice time talking with you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Corey. Honest to God, it's a new book that challenges Christians at any stage of their spiritual walk. It's written by Jed Morehouse, and we get to talk about it right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jed is joining me. Jed, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. Well, thank you for having me, Corey. Absolutely. Jed, can you tell me all about Honest to God? Yes. It's basically a six-step prayer challenge that I created for people, like you said, geared to any age of the Christian walk, whether you're a new Christian or a longtime Christian, or even if you're at the stage where you're not sure if there is a God and want to know if He's real. I believe the prayer challenge can enhance a person's walk with the Lord as it has mine. Hmm. And how did you get the idea for this, Jed? What sparked the idea? So basically, I wanted a new—I've gone to church all my life, 
basically I was born on a Tuesday and I was at church on a Sunday. <laughs> and I don't know that, but my parents, you know, they would drive to a church in a snowstorm for 20 miles. So I'm sure they're not going to be taking a crying baby to church, you know. But I believe God wanted me to serve him better. And I wanted to serve God better. But like the prideful people we are, I tried to serve God the way I wanted to. And I think that's just human nature, you know. Mm. It wasn't until my early 50s that I realized that I needed to stop trying to do it my way because it wasn't working and to trust God and to let him do things the way he wanted me to do it. And finally, I realized that his way is far better than my way. I've heard the scripture before. It says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, I think God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so once I started trusting God, that's when he started showing me what he wanted me to do and how he wanted me to do it. And so that's kind of how it happened. Then basically I said a simple prayer. I said, God, reveal yourself to me and give me a hunger for you and your word. And he did that. That's how this whole thing started. Wow. Have you ever done anything like this before, Jed? Have you ever written or been published? No, I have not. This is my first book. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So did it take you a really long time being your first one? No, actually, it took me about nine months to write it. So basically, you could say it's my baby, you know. Well, when it comes to the publishing end of things, you know, there's so much you got to do there, Jed. What did you find the most challenging part of that for you? Actually, I found the publishing company, Christian Faith Publishing. That was really kind of laid in my lap as well. I sent my manuscript out to them, and basically they accepted it, and they started the process. And, of course, there's lots of things that I didn't know how to do. Editing was the biggest part of it. Mm. Getting things to flow just right and whatever. Yeah, just the other things that go with publishing, which I'm still finding out. And after that nine months of hard work, Jed, what was it like, finally, when you got your first copy in and you got to hold Honest to God in your hands and your, your name's on the cover and everything? It must have been quite a moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty good moment, really. I had a lot of emotions going through my mind. Gratitude for God blessing me with this opportunity was one of them. Surprise, I'm still surprised at it, how it happened and everything, and it just happened so quick. A little sorrow because the cover of the book was a painting that my uncle had painted. I decided to use it, but he had already passed when I asked my cousin if I could use one for the cover. So he never got to see it. I think he would have enjoyed seeing that especially since he was a Baptist preacher. But those are, those are the rewards that I got. And I kind of use a scripture to sum up the whole book. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The reward I was looking for was just to know that I was pleasing God, doing what he wanted me to do, reading his word, praying every day. And I think he was pleased with me for that. But the other reward he had in mind, which I never thought about, was, writing this book, because it really wasn't my idea. It was his idea, really. Jed, what are the chances that we might see a follow-up to this or another book from you in the future? I mean, I have some ideas, and I've written some things down, but I really have not organized them into a particular subject just yet. I would love to. I would love to write it. It was a lot of fun. Well, Christians are surely going to be blessed by this book, and I encourage you to check this out. Again, this is titled Honest to God. It's written by Jed Morehouse and published by Christian Faith Publishing. So find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and even down the street at your local bookshop. Jed, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me about this book. I had a nice time talking tonight. Thank you, Corey. I did as well. Thank you very much. 
author D.T. Perkle tells the story of a post-apocalyptic world and the generation born after it. It's in his new book, The Glimmering Rose, Part 1, The Tranquility of Night. And we're going to talk all about this here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Perkle is with me now. Perkle, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me, Corey. I appreciate you. Well, it's really great to have you. Can you tell me all about The Glimmering Rose, Part 1? Sure. So the part one is going to be the first book of a four-part series. And the first book takes place in an underground city called Zion, where they were a safe haven for humanity for thousands of years. One day, the leadership closes their doors and seals them and tells the people that there was a nuclear war above ground. And so the book takes place 100 years after this event, where there's a generation that rises up that starts to believe, one, that the belief systems that Zion has followed for thousands of years are no longer applicable to the world they live in that day, as well as they start to believe that the leadership lied about the war, that there never really was a war, and so they seek to reveal the truth to their people and save them. So that would be the first book. Wow. Where did the idea for this come from? So it has kind of blossomed the more I wrote it, but essentially what happened was it was twofold. So first, after, so I'm 27, I, I turned 27 in January. And at the end of my 25 years, I knew I had to make some changes. So coming into my 26 years, I decided to set some goals. And one of those goals was to write an autobiography. And so when I started to put the pen to paper, it came out, I started to tell my story through a story. And I started to weave it in with what I saw in society. And the more I wrote, the more I realized I got to have a timeline of events that lead up to this, as well as what happens after book one. And the more I began to create it, the more it just blossomed into one book, into three books, and now we're at four books. So do you have everything planned out, outlined out for all four books? I do, yes. And there are things that happen in book one that are important in book two, book three, and in book four. So they all tie together in a way. Hmm. Did you see whenever you started writing part one, that maybe you started out and maybe things changed a little bit from where you expected them to go and you maybe had to weave that into what your outline was? Yeah, I kind of had a base understanding of where it was going to end up. The idea was when I started to write it, uh, I, I said a prayer and I was like, you know, God, I want you to be my co-author. I want to write this with you. So the more we began to write, there were some big events that would take place in the book. And one thing I wanted to, there was two rules I tried to follow. First was the entire series has to be plausible. It's got to be possible that certain things could happen. Mm. And I didn't want to cheat the reader. I didn't want to lead them to this big event and then have something like a pillar of fire come down and save the day. I, mm -hmm. I wanted it to be something that could actually happen in real life. So when it would come to big events, I would have to just pray about it. How are we going to do something? And, and it seemed like a word came to me that said that I myself, the author, put God in the most impossible situation that I could think of, and the way he gets out of it is going to be the story. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. Perkle, what sorts of readers do you think would be really into this story? So there's a two-part target audience. The first part would be the age group, and I think ages roughly 18 to 35, maybe even 18 to 40 is the target audience, but there's also a more specific target audience. 
And essentially, it's people who have been through a great deal of trauma and pain, and they can't understand how, one, uh, if God is so good and loving, how he could allow such pain to occur. But also, having gone through such trauma and pain, how they can't fathom how they can live a good life having gone through such stuff. So I would say that anybody who's been through such hard times, that would be the target audience I'd be writing for. I think readers are going to love this story and the whole series. Again, it's titled The Glimmering Rose, Part 1, The Tranquility of Night. This is written by D.T. Perkle, published by Newman Springs Publishing, so get it everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also down the street, it's your local bookshop. Perkle, it's been so nice talking with you tonight and learning all about this really fascinating series. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you, Corey, for your time. I appreciate it very much. We're talking about an amazing story of how God's love and mercy can totally transform one man's life. It's in the new audiobook by Samuel Baldwin titled Samuel. And I get to find out more. The author, Samuel, is here with me now. Samuel, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. I appreciate your time. Thank you. It's really good to have you here, Samuel. What will audiobook listeners find here? Well, it's about a boy named Samuel, or actually a man named Samuel. But it's a story about his whole life from a child. In the beginning of the book starts out when Sam got hit by a car. And it was this, I believe, what changed his life, some good, some not. And it led into a lot of adventures. Sam had a lot of excitement in his life, defied death many times, but ended up at rock bottom years later at about 55 years old. And so the book talks a lot about the recovery and why Sam changed his name to Samuel after being baptized. Hmm. How did the idea for this come about, Samuel? Well, being that I went through treatment and through recovery and a part of AA, I was helping another fellow alcoholic get sober, and he inspired me to write my book, which he has passed on now, but also I believe that God called me directly to write the book. Hmm. And did you have a reading audience in mind when you were writing this? When I initially wrote it, I was more thinking that it was for people in more in my time of life, going through things, needing a second chance, a chance to start over, a radical change. But as I've been recovered for going on eight years now, I realize that it's more than just older people at the end of their lives looking for a change. This also can help younger people not Mm. to have to go down this road not to go through all these things. Anybody is open for a second chance, no matter what your age. Now, when it comes to writing books, publishing and everything, Samuel, are you new to all this? I am, yes. If you'd asked me six years ago, would I write a book? I'd have told you you were nuts. (laughs) But uh, like I say, I was inspired at about three years into my sobriety. So I was pretty young in sobriety when I wrote the book. And once you started on it, was it a long journey then until it got published? I pushed hard. It took me about eight months to write it, and it took about a year and a half to two years in total before I got it published. Man, I can only imagine then when your first copy of this finally came in, Samuel, you got to hold it and look at it. What was that moment like? It was exciting. It was, and I still can't believe, even when I look at it myself, that I was able to write it, especially in the condition I was at three years after 40 years of drug and alcohol use being able to write a book, being able to put it together. 
it was life changing. And my main goal was that if it helped one person, it's success. And so I've succeeded as far as I know. I also have something I can leave for my family. It has history and it has my story and, and it's in my own words. So nobody can tell it better than I can. Have you thought about maybe writing another? Do you think you got another book in you, Samuel? I actually am working on two books right now. Oh, wow. So, yes, I'm going to keep writing. Fantastic. Am I going to be a great writer? I don't know, but I'm going to keep trying and I believe I'll get better. I've kind of acquired a style that I like and I don't think I'm going to change my style. Yes, I do continue. I keep writing all the time, actually. I'm working on a second book and a third book right now. Now, we're talking about the audiobook edition of Samuel. What was it like for the first time hearing it, as opposed to reading it off the page like you were used to all that time? At first, I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> After editing my book five times and reading it, you know, all those times, I really didn't want to. But when I listened to it, I really enjoyed it. And I even enjoyed it more than reading my own book. I sat back and I thought it was really good. I was really happy with how it turned out. How difficult was it to find just the right voice you were looking for? I don't know that it was exactly the right voice. I was looking for a voice like mine. I'm not sure if I did. I think it was good. I, I don't think it's my voice, but I believe he tells the story well. Well, I really think that a lot of people's lives are going to be touched by this book, and I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Again, the audiobook is titled Samuel. It's written by Samuel Baldwin and published by the Audiobook Network, so you can find it everywhere that you normally go to get your audiobooks, like Audible or iTunes or Amazon, everywhere. Samuel, it's been really great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show and telling me about your work. And thank you. Thank you for hearing me. Just thank you for everything that you're doing to get this out there to where it can touch lives. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 